Welcome to Hunt Gather Talk, the podcast of hunter, angler, gardener, cook. I am your host, Hank Shaw, and today we are going to talk about fish. It is June, it's high summer, or at least it's the beginning of summer for everybody, and hunting is kind of taking the back seat to fishing at this stage in the game. I mean, there are only a very few seasons here and there for hunting that still exists. You know, there's some black bear, there's some wild pigs, because wild pigs are everywhere, and a couple of places, squirrels, but that's about it. We're pretty much hanging up our guns for at least a few more months and picking up the fishing rods. One of the things that not a lot of people know is that I not only have been an angler far longer than I've been a hunter, but I've also been a fish cook, even a professional fish cook, far longer than I have been a wild game cook. Even though I've got several wild game cookbooks, um, in fact, I've got two out and my third one, which is Buck Buck Moose. It is a venison cookbook that comes out at September 1st. Even though I have all three of these books, fish is kind of the thing that I'm still most comfortable with. I've been cooking fish for myself since way back into my teenage years, and I've cooked pretty much every kind of fish in North America. I have seen it all, uh, or at least I'd like to think I've seen most of it. You know, I'm not foolish enough to think that I know I've seen it all, but I have. Chances are, if you have a fish question or a conundrum of cooking this or that or the other kind of fish, uh, I've been through it or I know someone who has. So what to talk about with fish? You know, I want to talk specifically about once you have the fish in the kitchen, Some other day we'll talk about catching fish and cleaning fish and all that sort of thing. But today I want to just talk about cooking fish. I mean, and and it kind of segues with what I was just talking about in terms of my cookbooks. I really wanted to do a fish cookbook, and I may still do one someday, but every publisher I've ever talked to says, oh, well, people don't buy fish cookbooks. They just don't care. They don't buy fishing cookbooks because we suspect that most people who catch fish and eat fish cook them in one or two or three simple ways. And that's it. So they don't really need a cookbook. It's fish cooked in the way that they want with whatever happens to be around in the kitchen at the same time. And, and you know, there's nothing actually wrong with that. It's just that there is so much more that can be done with fish and seafood especially than what I think people actually do. I think it all starts with frying. The root of all of this, the root of why fish cookbooks don't sell well and the why, you know, if I post recipes on hunter, angler, gardener, cook, that the fish recipes, they just don't do as great as, say, a a venison recipe or a duck recipe or something like that. I think it's because people are very comfortable cooking fish. and And when most people talk about cooking fish, they talk about frying fish. Now, don't get me wrong. I love fried fish. I fry fish all the time. And it's just, you know, obviously I can get bored with it, but if you don't eat fish three or four times a week, like I do in the summertime, you know, a good fish fry on a Friday night, you know, a bunch of beers and maybe some hush puppies or loaf of bread or whatever is whatever you want with it. It's just, that's a damn good meal. And I'm not going to lie, but let's talk about what I mean when I say frying fish. Now, frying fish pretty typically is a skinless fillet of fish. And it's either dragged in cornmeal, dragged in flour, dragged in a mixture of cornmeal and flour. Sometimes it's it's breaded, and then what I mean by breading is flour, then an egg wash, and then breadcrumbs, and then finally have battered. So, I mean, you really, when we're talking about frying, you're talking about three very distinct 
ways to prep your fish and with lots of variations within. So let's just go through that for a little bit. Everybody has a particular way that they prefer their fish. Well, well, that's good, but all every fish isn't necessarily good batter fried or just floured or whatever because it needs something. So let's the easiest thing, the thing that that I recommend for virtually any fish, not every fish, but virtually any fish, is the flour method. All that is is you salt your fish. Now you want to use fine cut salt. So even regular Morton's iodized salt is fine for this. You want a fine cut sea salt. And you use a fine cut sea salt because that will salt your fish more evenly. And you let that salt sit on the fillets while you're getting ready with other things. Like you're letting your oil heat up or you're getting your flour in a in a bowl or something to that effect. And you want to give the fish a good 5 to 10 minutes on the salt. Then don't pat it dry because you want a little bit of surface moisture so that the flour has something to stick to. And then you just simply dredge your fish fillets in flour, dust off the excess, and fry in enough oil or fat or lard or butter or whatever, and we'll get to fats in a minute, that the fillet will actually float a little bit. You know, we're not deep frying here, but nor are we sautéing, and that's an entirely different way to cook fish, which we may or may not have time to get into today. If you've ever cooked a schnitzel, like a proper German schnitzel, it's the exact same thing. A proper German schnitzel is a flat, pounded piece of meat, usually veal or pork or venison or duck breast or whatever it is that you want. Then it is breaded and fried. And that the trick, though, is you want it to float just a little bit. Otherwise, it can stick to the bottom and, and things don't work as well. And what I mean by that is maybe, maybe a quarter, maybe a half inch of, of oil or fat. You don't need a ton. I like cast iron for this. I also like all-clad steel. Uh, I typically use an all-clad steel pan when I'm doing this for just because it's lighter than a cast iron and it's a little bit bigger than my cast iron so I can fit more fillets in it. And that's another thing. It may seem obvious, but it's I'm bears repeating, don't crowd your fillets when you're frying. So however many fillets will fit in your frying pan that won't touch. You don't want them to touch. That's how many you do it at the same time. Well, okay, I'm doing a fish fry. Let's say I caught a whole bunch of bluegills or I caught a whole bunch of flounder or rockfish or something to that effect. And I've got a lot of fillets. Well, okay. You need to prep yourself so that you can keep the fillets that you have fried warm and nice while you're doing the other fillets. Now, you know, I love my mom to death and uh, she has some really great recipes. But I have a very distinct memory of coming back from flounder fishing when I was a kid and mom just frying piles and piles and piles of flounder fillets. Well, the problem was she just kept stacking them up on paper towels. So anything that wasn't on the top level or maybe even the second level got mushy. It got all that crispy friedness that you really love was gone. It was just left with a limp breading. And nobody wants that. And there's an easy solution for it. Turn your oven on to 200 or even 170. Just You just want it warm. And what I do is I put a baking sheet or sometimes two baking sheets in the oven. And on top of that, I will put a rack, a cooling rack for baking. If you don't have a cooling rack, 
just put paper towels there. Don't worry. They're fine in the oven at that temperature. You'll be good. And what you want to do is you want to just lay your fillets out so that they can drain. And with the rack, they get air circulation on either side, and that keeps them nice and crispy. It's extremely important if you're interested in actually nicely, properly fried fish. Little pro tip there. So that's just flour. Now, you don't need a gluten flour to do it. You know, typically, you'll use all-purpose, or you'll use something like that, or conversely, very fine cornmeal, which is often sold as fish fry. Um, there are certain parts of the country where you cannot get finely ground cornmeal. It's just, you just can't get it. Like in California is one of them. You can get polenta, you can get grits, you can get regular cornmeal, but none of those are really fine enough to be a proper fish fry. But if you go in the ethnic section, which is hilarious, and go to the Louisiana products, there is a Louisiana fish fry. And if you look on the side of the package, it says cornmeal. That's it. That's all it is. It's cornmeal. It's very fine ground cornmeal. And that's what you want. So that's an option. And it has a different flavor, which I happen to like quite a bit. And it's it gives you a very southern feel to whatever it is that you're frying. Regular flour, always good. You can never go wrong with it. Whole wheat flour, it's a little bit of a heavier dusting, and it will brown darker. So it will actually get a less of a golden and more of a milk chocolatey color to your fried fish, which sometimes is kind of cool. You can use any flour you want. Another flour I'm really, really fond of for dusting and frying fish in is chickpea flour. So chickpea flour is, as you might imagine, chickpeas that have been ground up into a into a flour, and they are fantastic. They uh, fry up golden, golden brown, and they get strangely crispy, like crispier than a than cornmeal, which is why most people like cornmeal as a crust because it has a very specific bite to it. Now, you could use acorn flour. I've done that. Um, I'm not a huge fan of using acorn flour uh, for fish, even though I'm known as the acorn flour guy. It's just dark. It's very, very dark, and it and it just, it's a strange visual. To it, Your brain can't sort of wrap yourself around a piece of fried fish with a coating that looks like, you know, dark chocolate. It's just, it's just weird. It tastes fine, but it's just, it's weird. So I avoid that. I tend to avoid the darker grayer flowers as well, like spelt or barley flour or rye flour, they can be fine. I mean, I actually like them with red meat preparations. Like a like I've done I do a venison schnitzel that has rye in the in the dusting. And that's kind of nice. Because it adds some flavor to it. But fish is light. Fish is airy. Fish is about summer. Fish is you should not think about heavy, cold stuff with when you're frying fish. It's 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 a happy kind of bright thing. So you want a happy, bright coating. And that's why that pretty yellow cornmeal works so well. Or white flour or chickpea flour because it, it fries up golden. So those are my recommendations for that. And it really isn't any more complicated than that. It's just salt. Let it sit for a bit. Dust in the flour of your choice and fry in however kind of oil or fat you want. Well, okay. Well, what kind of fat? Well, what kind of oil? Let's get to that. So Typically, because you're using a fair amount of it, you're going to want to use an inexpensive vegetable oil. So typical vegetable oil is just fine. And if you want to get a little bit nicer, use peanut oil. And I use peanut oil very, very often. It just has a bit of a better flavor that you can pick up if it's there. 
Another good option is canola oil or rice bran oil. Both of those have very high smoke points. So you can fry to your heart's content at a very high temperature. And this is much better for very small pieces of seafood, like a flounder filet, which is very thin. You want a hot oil for that. Uh, Shrimp or something small. You know, if it's a big, thick piece of fish that you're frying, you don't want to fry it as hot. And so you don't need that high smoke point oil. Olive oil. People like to fry in olive oil. And I'll admit, I fry in olive oil quite a bit. You can't really fry in olive oil past 350. So you kind of have to watch your temperature. But other than that, it's perfectly fine. Oh, and don't use the extra virgin in this case. It's a waste. Just use a cheaper olive oil, which tends to have a little bit of a higher smoke point anyway. And you're going to burn off a lot of those really lovely flavors of extra virgin when you're frying. So I wouldn't bother with extra virgin. My favorite, my secret pro tip for frying fish, clarified butter. So what do I mean by clarified butter? Well, clarified butter is butter that has been heated so that the milk solids in the butter drop out. So they'll eventually drop out and you'll be left with this sea of golden liquid butter fat. And it is phenomenal. And here's why it is so important to use clarified butter and not just regular butter. Regular butter's smoke point is somewhere in the 200s. It's very low. Clarified butter is closer to 350. So you can actually fry a piece of fish properly with clarified butter and still have all of that really good butter taste. And well, you know, I hear you talking, well, I like the, the extra flavor that you get in milk, solids, and butter. Here's the trick. Fry and clarify butter and then add a pat of regular butter right at the end. Just right at the end and then you're good to go. And you'll still get all of that amazing, rich, fresh, sweet butter flavor and it won't scorch and it won't burn. Because anybody who's tried to cook several layers of fish, you know, fill in the frying pan two times, three times, four times because you've got a bunch of fish to do in a fish fry. Well, hell, that but butter's going to be black and it's going to get bitter and it's going to get not so good by that second or third or fourth time through, unless you keep replacing the butter over and over again, which is more of a pain in the ass than using clarified butter. So how do you make it? Well, you take a you know pound of butter or two pounds of butter and you heat it in a pot and then you just over low heat and then you wait until the, the butter solids drop and then you very carefully decant it, you know, pour it off into a glass jar and then there you go. It will last not only forever in the fridge, it actually is stable at room temperature. We used to make enormous amounts of a very interesting spiced clarified butter called nitrkeba. I used to work at an Ethiopian restaurant, you know, a million years ago, and this was our cooking oil. This is what we used all the time. We had this huge vat of this spiced Ethiopian butter, and that's what we cooked everything in it. I will give you a recipe for it on Hunter Angler Gardener Cook. And I, if you are at all interested in exotic sort of Indian, North African-y kind of flavors, you're going to really like this spice butter. And it's pretty easy to make and it lasts forever. So it's definitely worth your time. Now, you can also buy clarified butter in a lot of supermarkets that have an Indian section because the Indians use clarified butter and call it ghee, G-H-E-E. And if you buy it that way, it's sort of you can buy clarified butter and then you're good to go. So that is my secret. That's what I do when I'm cooking really good fried fish for people, you know, that, you know, I mean, any oil's fine, but if I want to impress somebody, I'm going to do the clarified butter.
lard. Lard is also an interesting choice for uh, frying a fish, but because lard has a distinct porky flavor, you have to be careful. So you're going to get a kind of a southern feel to it. Now, you know, if you're frying catfish in lard, go for it. But I don't know that I would want to fry flounder in lard. Maybe you would, but it's just, it's, flounder is a very delicate fish, and this is a very strong fat. So I'm not saying don't use it. I'm saying use it judiciously. All right, let's go to breading. Breading is just one step more. So you're flouring your fish just the way you would normally do. But then you want to add a little bit of extra punch to your exterior of your fish. Well, the way you do that is you do either a straight-up egg wash, essentially slightly beaten eggs, or you do an egg wash with water or an egg wash with butter or an egg wash with milk. All of those work well. I mean, obviously the butter has to be melted. I tend to just use a straight-up egg wash, and sometimes I'll use a splash of milk to thin it out a bit. Because if straight-up egg wash can be so sticky that you'll get weird globs on your breading. So you dredge your fish through the flour, and then you dredge your fish through this egg mixture. And the reason you have to do flour, then egg, then breadcrumbs is if you just do egg, if you just do the wash, and then do the breadcrumbs, your breadcrumbs will not stick to your fish. You need the flour as a base layer. Think of it as like primer when you're painting. If you don't have that primer, your colors are not going to shine true. And it's the same way with your breading. You need the flour as a base for the egg to stick on, and then the breadcrumbs stick to the egg, and then everything is good to go. If you miss the flour, then you're going to get a breadcrumb crust, but it's going to come right off the fish, and you're going to be unhappy. So that's why you do the flour, egg wash, and breadcrumb. Now, any kind of breadcrumbs work. Again, you can make your own. I do a lot when I have bread. Sometimes I don't get to finish the bread before it gets stale. And when it's stale but not rock hard, I will slice it into pieces and let it get rock hard. And then you just throw it into a blender or a food processor and then buzz it until you have breadcrumbs. And nothing could be cheaper. You can add seasoning to it. Uh, You can add whatever you want to it. So on the topic of seasoning, and this applies back to the flouring method as well, you need to be careful. A lot of people will put, you know, Cajun seasoning or some sort of heavy seasoning on their fish when they flour and fry it. And I do not recommend that at all because you can, depending on the, what you're using, you can have those spices burn. And if they burn in the hot oil, then you get a very, very bitter taste and nobody likes that. That is no fun at all. So what I suggest is if you really want to add a punch of spicy flavor to a fish that you're going to fry. Put all of the spices in with the flour that you're going to dust the fish in and then put the egg wash and then put the breadcrumbs. So your breadcrumbs will largely remain unseasoned. And the and all of the power of your seasoning goes in that inner layer, the primer, with the fish. And if you do that, they will not burn because the breadcrumbs are there to protect them. And so you get the golden brown crust, and then you get that punch of whatever your flavor is. Maybe it's lemon pepper, maybe it's Cajun, maybe it's whatever, whatever, you know. And then you'll get all of those flavors much more cleanly, and they will taste more true to form than if you were to season your breadcrumbs heavily 
and you risk the ra- you run the risk of them burning. Now, is it going to burn all the time? Not necessarily, but this is just an insurance policy so that you don't get those weird, unexpected, bitter flavors. Again, breading, whatever flour you want, eggs plus milk. Some people just do milk. Um, I prefer the eggs. It, it, it provides a lot of structure for that breading and that the, the eggs will coagulate and with the breadcrumbs and form that substantial crust that you're looking for in a breaded fish. Breaded fish, I find to be better for like a sandwich. Um, if I'm just going to do on a weeknight, oh, I'm tired, I'm just going to cook some fish, I may just use the flour method because it's a little cleaner as well. Finally, we get to battered fish. Now, battered fish is typically a restaurant food. Why? Because battering is messy and battering requires deep frying. And what I mean by deep frying is you need that fat to be at least three or four or five inches deep because when you have a a sticky, gooey batter on your piece of fish and you put the fish in the hot oil, it's going to take some time for that hot oil to set the batter. And if your fat isn't deep enough, it will hit the bottom before it solidifies. And then you get weird debris in the pot and you get you can get places where the batter slides off. And so you have directly exposed fish and that's no good. You need some depth and you need the oil to be hot. Now, I never, ever want my hot oil when I'm batter frying fish to be less than 350 degrees. 350 is your sweet spot. And interestingly, if you do 350 or even 360, I wouldn't go much higher than that. There are some exceptions like for tempura shrimp or tempura uh, flounder or something like that. But in general, 350 to 360 is what you're looking at. And here's the cool thing about deep frying at that temperature. If you keep that temperature, your item, your fish, is not going to be greasy. And that's a misnomer that most people don't know is they, oh, it's fried fish. It's going to be greasy. Well, only if you cook it improperly. Chances are a breaded fish, a a breadcrumb encrusted fish that you fry in a pan is going to be greasier or will pick up more fat than a deep fried batter one. Trippy, eh? But the key is to actually have your fat at that 350 and that 360. Now, what's going to happen? Well, you don't want to crowd the pot. If you if you put maybe three or four pieces of fish in at a time, depending on the size of your deep fryer, you're good. Just make sure they have room to swim around in. If you crowd the pot, you're going to do two things. One, they're going to stick together and you will be sad. And two, you're going to drop the heat of that oil so much that the fish is going to get soggy by the time the heat gets back up to 350. So be patient. Do the exact same thing that I mentioned for the floured fish, which is to say put the baking sheets in the oven, put the oven at 200, and put a rack in the baking sheets. If you do that, you're perfectly good. You know, you can fry all for hours if you want and then just keep serving them out of the oven. So batters. There's all kinds of batters. There's a tempura batter, which is a Japanese batter. There's beer batter, which is, you know, your typical fish and chips batter. And then there's other freaky batters that I've seen here and there. But generally, we're talking about tempura or we're talking about a beer batter. What's common in both of these is sparkling water. Yes, I've seen 
tempura batters with only rice flour and cold water, and they are okay. Uh, but a better tempura batter uses sparkling water and rice flour and cornstarch and a little bit of baking soda. The reason why you use a leavening agent, and with a beer batter, the the beer is the leavening agent. So there's a yeast in the beer, but it's really the, the, the carbonation of the beer that does it and the temperature of it. So the thing with a batter is this. No matter what your batter is, it must be used quickly. So you make your batter and you fry your fish. And if you have a lot of fish to fry, like let's say you're going to be standing at the fryer for a half an hour or an hour, you want to make multiple batches of batter and use the one and keep the other in the refrigerator or don't even finish it until that last batch is in the fryer. The reason is because the second that you pour the beer or the second that you pour the sparkling water in the tempura batter or you have the baking soda hit moisture of any kind, the reaction begins. And the reaction will only go for a certain amount of time. So if you were to stick a beer batter in the refrigerator overnight and then use it the next day, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be lead. And you're going to lose almost all of that beautiful air pockets that you know and love in your beer batter. And it's just, it's just not going to be good. You need to do it quickly and it needs to work cold and efficiently and a few at a time. I mean, there's an art to it. I mean, really good fish and chips. I mean, how many times have you had fish and chips at some bistro or farm to table restaurant or bar or whatever? And you're like, eh, they're okay. They're a little greasy or, you know, again, the, the batter fell off the fish. Flouring your fish helps. This is a, that's a little known trick. You don't always have to flour your fish, but if you're worried about your batter falling off the fish, which can happen, flour it. Just dust it really super lightly in flour and then dip it in the batter and then go for that. And you'll have a much better, much better adherence of the batter to the piece of fish. So what do I use in my batters? Um, Do not use really hoppy beers in your beer batter. It will add a bitterness to your fish that you don't want. Uh, bottom line, uh, this is your chance for a Bud Light or a Coors Light or some big macro brew that doesn't have a lot of flavor. That's what you want for your batter fried fish. It, you don't want to add a ton of extra beer flavor to the fish. You just want it clean and nice and, and fried properly. Have I used Guinness? Yes, I have. And it's interesting but again, it's, it, it detracts from the flavor of the fish. I mean, this is a case where you really simple is better. With a tempura batter, it is important to use a little bit of cornstarch and a little bit of rice flour because it's just a lighter, fluffier, it's not fluffy, but it's a lighter batter than a beer batter. Beer batter is substantial. You know, you, know, you can think about a filet fish. You're going to think about, you know, English fish and chips. That's what you think about with a beer batter. With a tempura, you're thinking about a lighter Japanese kind of a feel to it. And which fish goes well with each? Well, I mean, classic is codfish or uh, dogfish for fish and chips. Haddock, codfish, something halibut. Halibut is another big classic for fried fish, you know, with a bat with a beer batter. Well, tempura, it's a little bit more. You see shrimp, you see delicate fish like flounder, you see that sort of thing. What Again, what oil? This time you do want a high smoke point oil. This time I prefer canola oil because you get, you know, it's smoke points in the 400s. It gives you a lot of leeway. 
So use a good high smoke point oil. Another trick is when you take a batch out, because typically we're not deep frying in huge vats. We're deep frying many. We'll have to do many rounds of it because we don't want to waste a ton of fat. And I'll get to that in a second. So typically you pull a bunch of fish. They're ready. They're out. You put them on that rack in the oven. Let the oil come back to temperature before you put more fish in. Because typically what you'll find out is that your temperature is no longer 350. It's down to 325. So give it, you know, 30 seconds to a minute to kick back up to the temperature that it needs to be before you add the next batter fish. Another tip. Okay, I'm battered my fish and I've dredged it through the batter. So what do I do? I drop it in the oil. No, I don't. What I do is I take the fish and I usually try to hold it between my thumb and first two fingers and I drag it through the top of the hot boiling oil real slow to set that side of the fish. And then I'll let it just drop gently into the oil. By doing that drag, slow, drop, by doing that, you don't, first of all, you don't get splashing 350-degree oil in your face, and nobody wants that. Second of all, what you do is you get your oil, will, your hot oil will set your batter before the fish is even in, so you have a lot less problem of it sliding off or of it sticking to the bottom of your pot. And another trick that I use, so I've got one in, then I got another one in, then another one in. Okay, so maybe I can only fit three pieces in my fryer at the same time. I use a chopstick to make sure that they don't touch in the first couple seconds that they're in the hot oil. You can use a fork or whatever you want, but I like a chopstick because it's, for whatever reason, it doesn't get hot and it's it's just easy to use and I happen to have them around. Just use them to separate the pieces of fish in the first 30 seconds or so of frying while that batter is still quasi-liquid. Once the batter's set, you're good. You're going to want to make sure that your fish gets fried on both sides. You know, this is obvious with floured and, and, and breaded fish because you have to flip them. But with a deep-fried fish, a lot of times they're going to want to float, and sometimes they float in a way that they, they don't want to roll over. So you're going to have to manipulate them with that chopstick so that the other end gets fried before one end gets completely burnt. That's just another little tip on, on deep frying fish. So here's a question. What fish do you fry? You know, it's pretty obvious. I mean, to some people, it's, well, all of them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I suppose it's possible, but ugh, God, I can't even th- imagine fried bluefish or, or fried, you know, in general, white fish, white lean fish, that's what you want to fry. So think of it. Think of a fish near you, bluegills, walleyes, catfish, rockfish, snapper, grouper, redfish, speckled trout, northern pike chunks, you know, you name it, smallmouth bass. I mean, it's, you know, you, you get the point, right? So what am I not saying? I'm not saying salmon. I don't think salmon and trout are very good deep fried at all. Now, I do like floured trout and fried in that that way. I love that. And occasionally I will dust a piece of salmon and flour and, and fry it, but very, very rarely. The problem is fat. So the reason why we love fried fish, there's a reason. I mean, it's pretty biological. The reason we love fried fish is because you have three things going on. You've got nice, clean 
fat-free fish in the center of that thing. Because what actually happens when you fry, no matter what method you're doing, is the outer layer, the flour, the breading, or the batter, creates a barrier between the fish and the hot oil. And what happens is there's so much moisture in the breading or the batter or the flour that when it hits the hot oil, it immediately vaporizes. And so you end up having this external pressure of liquid moisture bubbling outward, and you've got the hot oil bubbling inward. So this creates essentially a barrier that works very well to keep the fish not greasy if the oil is fat enough and if you watch. So if you watch and you see a piece of fish that's not bubbling or not sizzling as energetically as it was, that's the time to take it out. Because what that means is that the moisture has been boiled out of it enough where now the balances are no longer there and the fat can get into the fish and that creates greasy fish. So a, a really good visual technique of, oh, well, the, 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 this piece of fish is not, boil, or not sizzling as much as it used to be, you take it out. That's, that's a really good way to know, even if you're not timing things. Back to the fish. Do I fry things like herrings and, and mackerel? And, you know, occasionally I do. But in general, I want the fat to be provided from what fat does attach to the flour or the breading or the batter, not from the fish within. Now, you can have exceptions to that, but in general, you're going to want to fry flaky white fish. Halibut, codfish, walleyes, speckled trout, you know, snappers, that sort of thing. You're going to want to treat your fish like tuna or salmon or herring or mackerel. You're going to want to treat them different. You want to grill them or you want to smoke them or you want to do something different because they just are, they're not as good fried. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're terrible fried because let's face it, pretty much everything is good fried. There are better uses for that particular class of fish. What else about frying? All right, so let's, I mean, I can't believe I've been going on for a half an hour just about frying. This is pretty, this is pretty impressive. <laughs> I didn't know I had this much to say about just frying fish or, or that there was this much to say. But I want to conclude by just talking about, okay, so you've got fried fish. Now, what do you do with fried fish? You know, you can just sit there and eat them on a plate. You can eat them on a, eat them on a sandwich. A fish sandwich is a wonderful thing. And I have a great recipe for a fish sandwich on Hunter Angler Gardener Cook. You can serve it as, you know, your typical fish fry. And it's all I would tell you is that no matter how you serve it, potato salad, green salad, over fresh vegetables, whatever you want to do, keep it simple. A fresh fish fried perfectly doesn't need to be messed with. Maybe you have a sauce. Maybe you don't. My advice is if you have a sauce, keep the sauce on the side. Let people add sauce as they want because if you sauce a fried fish, let's say you've got this great, I don't know, teriyaki sauce or barbecue sauce or whatever it is, and, and you want to serve it with your fried fish, let people put it on their fish as they eat the fish because otherwise what happens is you've ruined the whole crispy fish thing. You know, it's like how many times have you had a sauce on something that has been crispy that is no longer crispy? And it's just really disappointing. So... If you must put the sauce with the fried fish, put it underneath the fried fish. So at least the top stays crispy. Because the underneath part of the fish that's sitting on the plate, whether it's been floured or breaded or battered, is going to start to get a little bit 
you know, less crispy anyway, because the hot fish is steaming. It, there's there's moisture coming off it, and then when that moisture doesn't have any place to go, i.e. against the plate, it's going to get a little softer. So if you really must do a sauce, put it underneath the piece of fried fish. So that's that's what I know about frying fish. I mean, I I'm actually kind of amazed that I went over half an hour just talking about fried fish. But next time uh, we're going to talk about other ways of cooking fish. I'm going to bring in some fish cooking experts who can uh, help show me some other ways that I may not know of. And I want to get into seafood and I want to get into all kinds of other ways to get into the fish that you bring home, whether they're from streams or from ponds or from the ocean. I'm Hank Shaw. I am your host here at the Hunt, Gather, Talk podcast. If you get a chance, please head over to Hunter, Angler, Gardener, Cook. That is honest-food.net. I will have all kinds of recipes affiliated with this podcast. So lots of fried fish stuff, lots of things to eat with fried fish, and all that jazz. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcasting service that you happen to use. Now, if you have a topic for me at the Hunt, Gather, Talk podcast, email me at scrbblr at hotmail.com. That's scrbblr at hotmail.com. Again, I'm Hank Shaw. This is the Hunt, Gather, Talk podcast, and I really appreciate listening in. Talk to you soon.